Hey Amarillo, this is Jason Boyette, and you are listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. The presenting sponsor of this episode of the show is Amarillo Economic Development Corporation. The AEDC is a champion of business for the High Plains of Texas. For more information, visit AmarilloEDC.com or AmarilloHelpsYouWin.com. Today's guest is Wes Reeves. Wes is the Senior Media Relations Representative at Excel Energy. If you don't know him personally, you may be familiar with him. He's the guy with the excellent beard who comes on TV when there's been an ice storm or something and everyone has lost electricity. Uh, so the appearance of Wes uh, on you know, local media is sort of almost always a, a bad news situation. But the people who know Wes personally don't think of him as a bad news guy at all. He's someone who is very attuned to the good things about Amarillo. He's able to communicate about a whole lot more than just electricity. And, and he's the sort of person who, if, if I were to ask, you know, what is the best tree in Amarillo or what's the history of this downtown building, he would probably know. And so I love talking to him and I'm excited about this episode. Wes, welcome to the show. Tell me about yourself. Well, you know, everybody kind of knows me as the Excel guy, so I guess I should say where I work first, right? So I, I've been working for uh, Excel Energy for a little more, more than 20 years, actually, uh, and I do uh, media relations for the company. So I'm the, the spokesman for the company, the liaison with, the, with all these reporters. We have like 100 communities in Texas and New Mexico, and so my... At least how I define my job is to have a relationship with reporters. And I am a former reporter, so uh, that's how I got into this business. Uh, been in Amarillo for 26 years. Uh, would, did not mean to stay here. It was just going to be like a two-year thing and turn it into 26. So I've, I, can, I guess I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else. So tell me, tell me about that. How, how did you end up in Amarillo. I, I know you have a background as a journalist, yeah. so kind of tell me how that happened and how you ended up here. Sure. You know, it's kind of a funny story. This is really one of my favorite stories in a way. I mean, I, I grew up in Wellington, Texas, which is 100 miles away. So it, Amarillo was sort of like home in that respect because we came to Amarillo all the time. I always think of the Panhandle as one big little town, sort of. Uh, so I was very familiar with Amarillo, but I'd gone to school uh, at University of Texas down in Austin. Uh, my wife now and was down there toward the last of my schooling and she finished down there and I got this job you know first of all I got a journalism degree because I thought that was going to be so cool and nothing against journalism degrees and you may have one too I don't know but uh, I have the closest next closest thing which is an English English okay yes English I was it's like journalism but not quite as useful not quite but it's smarter you know it sounds good so uh, so I had a journalism degree and I was like okay so what do I do I have to work for a newspaper right so uh, this was well before, the, you know, all the stuff we have now. It was just you went to work, went to work for a print paper. So I got this job in Georgetown, Texas, which is north of Austin, and it was like pretty much the worst job I've ever had. And I had to work all the time. And I was—I don't remember what I made by the hour, but it turned out to be like a dollar an hour, you know, basically. And so my, we were engaged to be married, uh, and my wife, future wife, we were in a grocery store in Georgetown, and uh, there was this thing called Zebby's onion ring batter. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You can still buy it. It's made by somebody else now, but it's called Zebby's. It was made in Memphis, Texas. 
that's where Zebby lived, and they marketed it all over the country. And I picked up a packet of Zebbies, and I was like, I really want to go home. You know, I just want to go home. This, my life is so terrible. Let's just go back to the Panhandle and start over again. So I credit Zebby in the onion ring batter mix is really what got me back to Amarillo. Was onion ring something that had a close tie to Wellington or Amarillo I don't know why onion ring batter mix would be made in Memphis, Tech. But Memphis is real, real close to Wellington. That's where my grandmother okay. lived. And so I knew these people. I actually knew Zebby. Uh, so anyway, it was just sort of like, I just want to go home. You know, it, it was, my life was not fun. You know, you're in college and it's all fun. And all of a sudden you have this crappy job and I couldn't even go to Austin. I couldn't even afford the gas to drive to Austin, you know? So, so we said, let's pack up and go home. And anyway, my dad uh, had a job up here. He had taken a job at Amarillo and he knew the publisher of the newspaper. And I said, dad, can you get me a job at the newspaper? And that's how I got to Amarillo as I took a job at the Globe News making instead of a dollar an hour, like $2 an hour, and you know. That was, those were the Garrett Von Netzer. Yes, gear, Garrett right? Von Netzer. Garrett and my dad were friends and, and my dad called Garrett up. And actually they had a job opening and they said they were having trouble filling it. And it was a farm and ranch uh, reporter, uh, as part-time farm and ranch, part-time regional reporter. And then on Saturdays you do general assignments. It was a really weird job. So that's how I came to Amarillo and uh, just kind of immediately thought, you know what, this feels like, a good place to live. It was, I don't know what it was. And you, that's weird coming from Austin, right? You know, that moved to Amarillo. Of course, it felt like home and uh, it gave us a chance to kind of establish ourselves. And so that's kind of my Amarillo story. So how did, how did you go from the working for the newspaper to working for the energy company? What's... You know, kind of an interesting little saga there. I mean, I worked, uh, I left the paper because I, I mean, I never really wanted to do that, but I did that for about three and a half years and uh, in, I did business reporting later, and you got to got to know a lot of people. And uh, I, there was a company called McCormick Advertising, and they'd been here forever and ever. And they had a PR department, and I thought well, PR—that's where I need to be, you know, because that makes more money, and and it, you get to, you know, meet really interesting people. And so uh, they actually called me. I had a friend there named Mary Coyne, uh, who's still in the advertising business here, and uh, she said she wanted to hire me. To, do, to help her with some new business that she was developing. And so I went from the Globe News to McCormick. Uh, I didn't really work out very well there either. I don't know, because they immediately, instead of doing PR, they gave me an advertising account and I didn't know anything about advertising. And uh, it was Merrick Pet Foods, oh, yeah. actually out of Hereford. So I'm sure they were so glad when I left. But actually, we had a good time with that account because it was all dog. We got to shoot pictures of dogs and do a catalog and all this stuff. Uh, but so anyway, McCormick and, and Southwestern Public Service, which is now XL Energy, had a relationship. And uh, SPS started its uh, merger process in 1995, I guess, somewhere in that range. And they had a hiring freeze at SPS and they kind of needed some help. And so they sent me over from McCormick to write for the company magazine. So I was a writer and uh, it's called the Southwesterner. It, was, it had been their magazine since 1942. And uh, so I sort of got an audition for the job, you know, and and then really between that and coming on full time, I worked 10 months at a at a place called the Amarillo National Resource Center for Plutonium. <laughs> Nobody even knows that existed. Uh, never heard of that. No, that was this place. And it was a, it's just too long, too involved for me to describe it. But they were researching some some issues related to uh, dismantling nuclear weapons and what to do with the plutonium that was inside of it. And it was kind of an interesting job, and it was actually a university consortium, and that was like a little 10-month deal. And then I went over full-time to uh, SPS at that okay. point. So 
And so you've been at that job for, you know, for a couple of decades. 20 years. At this point. Yeah. Um, and my perspective of what you do is that the only time I see your name or I see you on TV is when something has gone wrong. Yeah, you know, exactly. Either <laughs> whole, you know, neighborhood has lost power, yeah. or there was a squirrel, or there's an ice storm coming, or, yeah. or something like that. I mean, is that a part of your job that, like, if you're doing your job, it means you're in a kind of a high-stress situation, or is you it... You know, actually, it's funny. I mean, I, in some ways, I mean, I don't say I enjoy tragedy or disaster or anything, but I enjoy when I have to respond to something like that, I know exactly what to do, you know? So it's kind of nice to have a job where you know you know what to do. I know the reporters. I know it's sort of a formula, you know? So uh, I don't really mind that. The only problem with things like that is they happen after hours and on the weekends and while your family's praying at Thanksgiving dinner and you have to be on a conference call. And so it happens at weird times. Uh, but that's it is a large part of that. And then, of course... Uh, they use media relations not only to respond, but to help shape the message, you know, as, as, and it's a very complicated business. And so uh, I've had to learn a lot. Uh, I, I'm not a technical person at all. Uh, and so I have to be around a lot of technical things related to engineering and finance. And those are two of my least, you know, not saying least favorite things. I just don't have that part of my brain developed very well. So it's been a good exercise in kind of stepping outside of my comfort zone and uh, trying to understand something in a, in, a, in a way that I can explain it to someone else. So it, it's a challenge, uh, and it, it can be kind of uh, burdensome at times, but it's a fun job. Well, and, and you're in a role where you you are sort of the, the public face of a company that people don't understand. Exactly. Like, that people don't think about until something's gone wrong. Exactly. You know, I, I'm never turning on the light switch hoping that electricity is, is going to work this time. Yeah. It's just totally out of mind until something doesn't work. And, and yeah. you know, in, in talking to you, I realized that I don't have any idea what's always happening, you know, with the electrical utilities and all that stuff. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you, that you sort of advocate for, for what Excel does or the ways that you explain it to people? I mean, oh, yeah. tell me about that part of your job. Well, you know, really, I, I think the easiest thing to do is to connect on a personal level and it's hard because we're, you know, we're a big company and we don't have the little offices we used to have and we don't have the cooking demonstrations we used to have. And, uh, so it's been a challenge in the modern world, you know, how to, how does a big, uh, company connect on a personal level with people? And, and I think what I do is try to tell the stories of, of our employees and what they do and how much they care about, uh, people. And they really do. And I'm not just saying that as the PR guy, I mean, I've worked with these people for a long time and, they honestly, truly care about when, when someone's in trouble and when somebody can't pay their bill. I know that sounds crazy if anyone's listening saying, well, they didn't seem too you know, worried about me. But I mean, we have a business to run, obviously, but I think it, it is a, I think a lot of our employees see it as a, more than just a job. You know, it's a service. And, and our company, our Southwestern Public Service is the technical name or the legal name of our company. And we've always seen ourselves sort of as public servants. And so you have to kind of reframe the discussion and sometimes and remind people that we do a lot more than just provide electricity. What do people, I guess, not understand or, or what would surprise people about it? Because I, I think most of the, if someone knows somebody from the, the electrical company, it's because they see somebody in a bucket truck and exactly. they see them working. They don't have you don't interact with them other than, you know, paying your bill or yeah. something like that. So what, what does Amarillo not really I get? I think uh, any 
customer of a utility company, especially an electric utility company anywhere, doesn't realize, and first of all, I love to tell people this, it's the world's biggest machine. So we have these lines. You know, even here, just in this region, we have 15,000 miles of, of low-voltage distribution lines. We have another 7,000 miles of the high-voltage transmission lines. Uh, so there's a lot of interconnection. And so we're, we're basically, and then we're connected back because we're connected with other neighbors, we're connected all the way back to the East Coast. So it's this giant, complicated machine with these complicated generators pumping electricity in, and it's being used at the speed of light. So it's not something we can store up when we have too much and, uh, and use it later. It has to be uh, generated the minute it's consumed. And so it's kind of magical, you know, it's a, because I'm not an electrical engineer, so I have to a lot of this kind of goes beyond my ability to understand, but it's a very extremely complicated uh, system. Uh, so that's one part of it. The other part, it's extremely complicated uh, financially uh, because we, we, we own this real expensive uh, equipment. And then we, of course, have to generate income from that. And so and our rates are very hard for people to understand. And, and I I always want people to know we're not just overly complicating it so you won't understand it. It's just an overly complicated uh, issue. And so that, it's a big challenge to try to understand all that and then regurgitate it back in a way that people kind of, it feels like it makes sense to them. Is, is this a challenging place to provide electricity? I mean, between the wind and the ice storms and, and all the different, you know, aspects of our climate is it, is it different from any other you know part of the i country? think i would say this is as hard in many ways I and mean, if you think about florida most times it's this beautiful paradise you know and then they have these horrible storms come through well really any time of year uh something weird can happen with our weather and primarily it's wind and we're you know amarillo i believe has been ranked as the second windiest city in the country so we're, we have a, a steady consistent breeze all the time and then we have a lot of violent weather that comes through here because of our geography so and we're not we're a temperate climate but we all you know we do have cold winters and so we're different from the rest of texas because we deal with ice and snow and things like that so so definitely i think uh we may be a little more exposed to the weather than some other parts of the country but you got i mean that's a big deal because you guys are monitoring that and you're mobilizing materials and you know, teams of linemen and all that stuff when you know that an ice storm is coming. Exactly. That. And you have to, yeah, we, we watch the Weather Channel a lot, you know, and uh, it's if anybody, you know, back to the complicated nature, I wish I could bring all of our customers into our control center we have here in Amarillo. Uh, it's a transmission control center, and they have all these, it's just a room full of, of monitors, and right in the middle, the Weather Channel is on all the time. Uh, so they're watching to see, even this time of year, it's kind of dull weather right now, but if you don't have... The wind and the ice and all that, you've got high heat, uh, which can also be a, be a challenge. So, yeah, it's uh, its something that's definitely, I mean, we, we love to talk about weather. And, of course, that's a panhandle thing, right? Everybody loves it. Yeah, everybody loves it. And, and, and having grown up here, that was part of what we did for excitement is to go look at clouds and things like that. So, so it fits us pretty well, I think. I want to talk about... Um, Growing up in Wellington, because I grew up here in Amarillo, uh, you know, there's a different idea of what Amarillo is if you've grown up in one of the smaller towns outside. Of oh, yeah. So how did, like as a kid in the 70s and stuff, how did you look at Amarillo? What did it mean to people in Wellington? Yeah, you know, for me personally, it was, it was fun because, you know, you get, you get in a little town and things get kind of dull. And, and we love to come to Amarillo just because it's to us, it was 
Dallas, you know, it was the same for people that live in Amarillo to go to a much larger city. Uh, so it meant something different. Uh, you could buy things that you couldn't buy at home. Uh, you, if you're in Amarillo, you pretty much stayed there the whole day and your parents might let you eat stuff you didn't normally get to eat, you know, and uh, it, it, was, it was a treat, definitely. And uh, uh, seeing movies and of course we had to see doctors and things like that as well. But uh, but Amarillo is sort of the capital city of the panhandle, you know, so it was, it was like going to Mecca for us. And I know people living in Amarillo who grew up here kind of laugh at that in some ways, but that's, I think, really how still small towns view Amarillo. They, they view it in a good light, and it, it provides something they can't get anywhere else uh, within a lot of miles. So has that changed the, the way that you looked at it as a kid and maybe the way you looked at it when you were in Austin? I mean, now that you've lived here for you know, 25 years, how, how do you look at it now? How do I kind of see Amarillo? Is it Amarillo? still Mecca? Yeah, or it's is not, it... you know, it seems really quiet to me, you know, sometimes, you know, I was taking our daughter to move into the dorm in Austin, Texas, and I lived in Austin years ago, and, and coming back, back to Amarillo seemed very quiet, but it, see, at my age now, that's a good thing, so uh, I was glad to get back to Amarillo. It just kind of depends on where you are and your you're, you're growing up, I think. And uh, so I, I, I now see Amarillo more as a kind of this idyllic place, you know, that, uh, that uh, where you know everybody and kind of like how I felt back in Wellington in some ways, I guess. I think Amarillo, uh, when you look at it, is probably full of a lot of small town people. Uh, so it's uh, kind of a, a Wellington on steroids in, in many ways. I haven't seen that on, on a billboard <laughs> anywhere. But it's, yeah, it's just Wellington on steroids. Wellington on steroids. Come steroids. visit Amarillo. Um, what are you involved in uh, apart from apart from work? You know, what are some things that uh, that you like to do around here? You know, uh, for many years, uh, I've been real involved in uh, historical preservation. Uh, I've always loved history, and of course, I don't know why I didn't go into something like that. But uh, I got, in, uh, you know, I remember talking years ago to the director of the Panhandle Plains Museum, and I can't recall his name now. But anyway, I, I told him Michael Grower. It was before I know or Michael. Before it was that. before I can't think of, he was the, the the main guy there, and he had some good advice for me because I said I'd really like to get a job where I get to be around old stuff, you know, like you guys do. And he said, Well, let me tell you, it's kind of hard to get these jobs. And he said, Why don't you make it an avocation rather than a vocation? And then you can enjoy, you can make, you have your living, and then enjoy this on the side. And so for many years, I, I did that, and I got involved in. A, uh, I was on the board of Preservation Texas, which is a statewide preservation group. And then, uh, then I got on a board with the Historical Commission that's a review board, and they look at national register listings. And uh, I was the only guy on this last board I was on that wasn't an architect or an archaeologist. And I was just this dude, you know, from Amarillo. And, and uh, it just was great fun to me. I could kind of act like I knew what I was doing, you know, hanging around these really smart people. And I learned a lot. Uh, about something I'm really interested in. Uh, so I didn't really have to go to school to do that. I just got to participate in it. So I'm still still involved to a degree. We have a local historical foundation that's sort of inactive right now, but I'm, also, I'm still on that board. And I was involved in my hometown uh, years after I left there. In fact, this is kind of what got me started. There was an old movie theater there that had kind of fallen in. And as a kid, I loved that place. It was just so different and such a cool place. And uh, as, I, as a, an adult, I contacted some po people down there and I said, why don't we figure out a way to save this building? And it actually led to an effort that succeeded. Uh, it was in, not because I'm so smart. We just had someone who stepped in who had some money uh, who restored the theater. It's the Ritz Theater down in Wellington. And it's a beautiful 
uh, fun place if you ever get a chance to, to go down there. They have live shows. They have first-run movies. Uh, so that was a, an early success uh, dealing with uh, the preservation of buildings. I like the preservation of places more as much as I like, you know, stories and, and the preservation of, of, uh, of the artifacts and things like that because the buildings are so important to me and how I learn about the history. I have to touch it and see it. And so the, that was a, a fun job. Uh, then we worked on the Paramount, the big sign at the Paramount mm-hmm. Theater. I was involved in that. Uh, and as I've gotten a little older and the kids grew, started getting older, I've had less time for that. So something I'd like to revisit again someday. So that's, that's part of the big struggle with downtown right now. I mean, I know you guys have a, a big, shiny new building that's part of revitalization efforts. Yep. And there's also, you know, efforts to, um, you know, to restore some of the existing buildings. I mean, do you, do you have an opinion on what's the balance between keeping these old things, you know, merging them with the new yeah. and, and kind of making it all work together? That's, you know, that's been a hard thing because we do tend to tear a lot of stuff down here. Because of that, I, I'm always like, don't tear anything down. Just see if we can use it. And I understand, actually, for the building I work in, something had to go. And it was an old uh, motel, which I thought was kind of a cool building. I love the architecture of the 50s and 60s. And uh, uh, it just was sort of an, a, not a good use for that block. And so when I, I can kind of live with it if I think something's coming in that's bigger and better, uh, that, that will use that, that land in a better way. I'm really against it when it's just for another parking lot. You know, I just yeah. think that surely, surely we can make it without another parking lot. Uh, but that's just kind of our mentality here that we want to park really close to where we are, uh, where we're going. Uh, but yeah, and so I'm, I'm usually one of the guys that's kind of lamenting any building. Not even, I understand a lot of people say, well, let's keep the really cool ones, but the little ones that aren't that interesting, you know, they're okay. But uh, to me, they all tell a story and they're all part of the fabric of the way downtown once looked. And I think we're missing out on the, the density of an urban center when we clear out too much land for parking lots. But you'll have a pretty good perspective on everything that's happening downtown. Oh, you know, yeah. Whether it's a ballpark being built. I mean, that's all happening around your, your Exactly. Building. And actually, our, I moved into the, I'm in a cubicle uh, in our new building. Most of us are. And so that was sort of one downside. But the upside was I'm in the corner of the building, and I have windows on either side of me. And I'm, I'm actually going to be able to look directly down on home plate. So uh, so I, I a lot of people come and hang out in my little corner to... Back today, they were digging up the road, and everybody kept coming over there to, to check it out. You know, everybody likes to watch construction. I think so. It's it's really exciting, and Buchanan uh, it looks so different now. You know, when you get out and walk, and I want to encourage people to get out and walk it uh, because we, for too often, we've just kind of zoomed through downtown yeah. and not experienced it by walking around, and it's it's really looking great. Yeah, that's one of the favorite things that I've done recently. My my son does. Uh, basketball training and just had practices at the downtown athletic center. Oh yeah. You know, the last two or three years. And I used to uh, drop him off and then just go walk around downtown and yeah. have found like buildings tucked away in places. I didn't know were yep. there and, you know, seen the new graffiti when it shows up in a certain alleyway. Yep. I mean, and you don't see that stuff unless you are on foot. You're, you're not going to see that while driving. You don't. I noticed but uh, we don't have like a downtown where people are always walking. They I mean, don't. It's just not and, the culture. And I, it, when I've got, and I don't even do it as much as I, I, I preach it, but I don't practice it very well. Cause when you actually start walking in some places, the sidewalks are kind of messed up in places and, and, uh, and everybody's kind of like, what's, they see you walking. Like, what's wrong with that guy? Is he homeless? Yeah, yeah is he homeless? Nice they homeless they think I am usually. So, with uh, that beard. With a beard, you know. So I guess I'm not standing out too much. But people kind of give me the eye, you know. Like, what are you doing walking around out here? But 
Uh, you know, in Wellington, where I grew up, I, I never walked around. I did, but as an adult, I started walking around the square. And I remember seeing things I thought, I've never seen this. There were, look, uh, one place had been a grocery store years ago, and you could still see where the grocery boy sat on the corner and would uh, they'd deliver groceries or they'd get orders, and he would, use, he would ride on the bricks. He would add up the bill. <laughs> so there's all these little scratches and uh, subtracting and additions and things like that. And I thought I was just fascinated by that. So you really have to get out and walk in order to see a lot of this. Let's talk about your social media. Because uh, okay. one of the things that I've enjoyed, uh, I follow you on Instagram, and occasionally you'll post a photo with a few verses of poetry yeah. um, on it as, as sort of a graphic. I mean, that's, that's not something related to your job or anything no. like that. So <laughs> what, what was the impetus for that? You know, I don't know really. I was just thinking about this uh, earlier. I didn't really write anything like that until really in the last just few years. It's crazy. Yeah, it just sort of kind of came to me. Uh, and I've always enjoyed poetry, and I never could really write it because I never could really rhyme stuff. I'm not that kind of poet. I can't make something sound like a rap or anything like that. Uh, and I finally just decided just write, just let it out, what you're feeling, and then you can kind of go back and tweak it, and it sort of turns into something, and it, it's sort of a transformational kind of thing. And uh, it just feels good, you know, and I think because what I do for a living is real prescribed and, you know, you have to do everything a certain way. And I do a lot of writing, but it wouldn't be called creative writing. Uh, it's, it's, you know, informative writing. Uh, but this gives me a chance to write something and no one can redline it and say, well, you should have said this and not that. And because really with poetry, and I was discussing this with a friend, it's really hard to critique poetry in many ways. Uh, it's just, it's just what it is. And uh, so it's a freedom. I think it's a personal freedom. And it, and it gives me a chance to uh, sort of put a form and a function to uh, complex feelings and emotions that I never really knew how to deal with. And so it's, I think it's that way with a musician or an artist. You know, they, they have a lot of stuff bubbling up inside and you've got to find an outlet for it. And uh, that just happens to be with me poetry because I love words. And I don't have the greatest vocabulary, but it's fun to put words together. It's almost like a puzzle. Where, where do the subjects come from? And they're usually attached to a photo that's, that's sort of tied to it. I mean, does yeah. it start with seeing something or does it start with, you know, thinking? I think it's both. Uh, I take a lot of, I mean, I'm not a great photographer. In fact, all, nearly all of those are taken on my iPhone, you know, so I just, I'm out and about walking, you know, if you get out and walk, you see things. Uh, it, it's almost always a phrase, something that just comes into my head or something I see that's that maybe no one else has noticed it might just be a person standing on the side of the road you know some of the people that are most interesting to me are what we consider homeless and i don't even know if they're necessarily homeless but they're they're just hanging out you know they they're in a whole other society from what we are they don't really have a uh from what our perspective they don't have a purpose you know but and, and but i know that they have a purpose and they see what their purpose is and so i try to get in their mindset sometimes and and uh it's a it's a really interesting thing to do and it helps me understand myself a little bit and you you hashtag it yellow dirt verse yeah Where did that come from i don't know i was trying to keep them all together and you know i'm not that great at uh at social media but i thought if i can have a place where i can kind of look at them together and uh I, one of the first poems i remember writing about uh, back in 2011, it was that was the driest year we'd ever had, I think, and it was it, the dirt blew a lot. And uh, I thought about the dirt, and here it's kind of a yellowy dirt a lot of the times, and and that's the year that 
I started writing things. And I, so I guess dust is my inspiration because there was something about the way it made me feel uh, that made me feel really sad, but really deep at the same time. There's something about those dust storms. And I don't want to say that I like them, but I don't maybe hate them as bad as other people do. So maybe that's where the yellow dirt came from. And and I don't really, I've always had a hard time calling it poetry because I think, well, poetry sounds like it's going to be something, you know, really grand. So it's kind of you a don't verse. don't wear enough turtlenecks. I know, maybe not. I don't know. Off. I just, uh, you know, I don't, I just, and I, I've always kind of felt funny people saying, using the word poet or poetry. But then at the same time, I think it, we're, we're all, I, and anybody that sort of notices things and wants to, or, or notices beautiful things and wants to talk about it is a poet, in my opinion. The Amarillo Economic Development Corporation is a champion of business for the High Plains of Texas. As a primary economic development engine of Amarillo, the AEDC is responsible for industry growth and job creation through business attraction and retention initiatives. The mission of the AEDC is to attract businesses to Amarillo which offer highly skilled, highly paid positions, to expand and retain existing local businesses, and to foster a supportive business ecosystem conducive to entrepreneurship. For more information, visit AmarilloEDC.com. And I'm serious about visiting this site because one of the things they do is they highlight positive stories about Amarillo. They introduce you to Amarillo people who are doing cool things. They do a lot of the same stuff that I do, just uh, in, a, in a written basis rather than an audio basis. So go to AmarilloEDC.com. You can also learn more at AmarilloHelpsYouWin.com or at Inc.com slash Amarillo. Okay, we're back, and that means it's time for the part of the show I like to call Eight Straight. Wes, I'm going to ask you eight direct and highly specific questions, and hopefully you will answer those with uh, some degree of honesty. Okay. Um, so here we go. Here's your first one. What type of Amarillo weather do you like most? You know, we were, so we were just talking about dust storms. I, I hate to say I love dust storms the most. I do like wind, I, I have to say. Uh, in, in certain doses. But I think really uh, even more so there are the thunderstorms that come up in the summertime. Uh, when you, and our, our house faces west. I love to go out and, and look up and go, wow, there's something out there coming and just watch it coming in and smelling it coming in. So I have to say a summer thunderstorm, except for when I have to stop and go answer calls from Channel 7 or somebody about <laughs> why are the lights out. But Yeah, I did. So it's kind of ruined it a little bit, but I joy followed by a little. It bit is of, a little uh, bit of pain, but I do enjoy thunderstorms. Okay, what what's your all time favorite Amarillo restaurant? You know, I I've been thinking about that. There's places you go to a lot, and but doesn't necessarily mean that they're your favorites. But I, I think with me, it's beyond food. It's where I'm sitting and what it means, and if I've had some sort of kind of spiritual experience there, you know, which is going to sound weird when I say the golden light is a place for me that has this vibe or something. And so I love to go to the golden light and sit at the, the little counter up there and, and just, you know, hang out. And there's always one or two people I see there every single time I go in there. So I guess right now I'd say golden light's my favorite place. Do you, do you have a favorite order there that... You know, you I'm really basic. I like to get the uh, just a kind of a basic burger. Uh, if I'm really feeling, you know, kind of crazy, I get the French fries with the chili and cheese on it, and 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 I don't even really like Lone Star beer anywhere else. But you have to drink Lone Star beer in Golden Light, so it just it just feels it's right. It's all part so of the spiritual. It's experience part of that experience. There. It's how you channel whatever it is you're channeling there. So, third question: What does Amarillo have too much of? 
Oh, you know, we kind of covered this in a way. I think we have too much, uh, in town, we sort of have too much open space. Uh, and, and back to my parking lot uh, thing, it seems like we have just we have too many parking lots, especially in the, in the older center, central part of town. We need to kind of bunch up a little bit so we can enjoy uh, walking around and, and running into people on the sidewalk. Too many cars, maybe, too. And I love to drive. I'm not saying anything bad about cars, but too, much, too many places, too many ways to drive your car and not get out. What does the city not have enough of? One thing, we were talking about diners again. I th- we need another little diner. You know, I, I want to go into a place where you just order a bowl of chili. You know, and, and it's, it's everywhere you go now, it has to be something, little theme or whatever. No, I don't want a theme. I just want some basic places to go hang out, more coffee places. You know, we have some really good coffee places here, but... Uh, they just, don't serve chili. They don't serve chili, you know? So, uh, Patrick and you guys, I mean, I really, you need to think about chili, you know? I mean, chili makes me sick. I don't know why I say that, but I love to eat it. But just maybe more of places we can just go and get away, meet friends in a comfortable setting. When was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? Okay, so I actually have a date and everything. As I, I looked it up through my, you know, my, my camera roll is sort of my diary of what's going on. So on May 20th, uh, my friend Marcus Briscoe and I had breakfast at uh, Waffle House. And then we said, let's ride around. And somehow we wound up at Cadillac Ranch. So I was there on May 20th. I never bring my own spray cans. I usually find some out there and, and get it all over my fingers and stuff. But we just wandered around like everybody else does. That's probably more recently than a lot of people who live here. That's true. I know some people who have never been out there. Really? I mean, I sometimes I just... I like to drive after I set up, we all should be walking more. I like to drive. I like to get out and just go West. Cause there's something about that that I'll, and you just are drawn to Cadillac ranch. And sometimes it's just fun to walk out there for no reason. What is your favorite local arts organization? Well, we live where I live on uh, Harrison street. We're within walking distance of the museum of art. And I've always loved, my kids have always loved that place. Uh, my daughter's an artist. And so I think, she really picked up her love of art by walking over there. And, and the college uh, campus is so pretty. Uh, so I, for, for more reasons than one, I think the Amarillo Museum of Art is my favorite arts institution. We have a lot of good stuff here, though. Well, And it's so diverse. I mean, you can see a Picasso sketch or oh, yeah. a Georgia O'Keeffe or a 12th century statue of Buddha. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. It's, it's incredible. And then because the, they have, you know, a revolving exhibit all the time. And uh, You mentioned coffee earlier. What's your go-to Amarillo coffee shop? Well, you know, I have to, there again, it's probably where I show up the most is uh, Palace downtown because it's it's convenient uh, for me. I wind up in Roasters quite a bit, it seems like, because it's convenient. Uh, one of my favorite places of all time was the, the Ground Coffee Shop when it used to be in the Chase Tower uh, because I was got to be great friends with Kimberly and Carly, and uh, it was just a great place to meet people. That was one of those little kind of spiritual places down there, and it's gone now. Okay, last question. What is the question about Amarillo you get asked most by outsiders? <laughs> this is probably the same answer that anybody asks. They always say, do you ever eat at the Big Texan? They <laughs> always ask me that. And I say, yes, but I don't go out there much. They cater a lot, and the catering is pretty good. You know, uh, Don't go out there as much as I should. We had breakfast out there not long ago. But that seems to be Bobby and Danny, you guys do a great job of of making people know where Amarillo is, and they always ask about that. That's the, the eight straight questions. I, I like to end the show um, by asking for an endorsement uh, yeah. from the guest. And um, a lot of the things you've talked about, I guess, could be considered that. But, but what is one thing that you would want to share with people listening that you just 
love about Amarillo? You know, uh, one thing I've I've gotten to love in the last few years is the, the kind of the music scene. I don't go out a lot, but I've, I've made some friends with musicians, and uh, I, you know, I have to bring up my friend AJ Swope, who I believe kind of got the music scene going here. I realized that people played music here before AJ came around, but a lot of the guys playing now, when I ask them, you know, how they got started, they will say AJ encouraged me to do that, and uh, I think that. Amarillo's got some really great musicians, and I want to learn more about them, too. Uh, and so I encourage people to get out and enjoy the music. And one of the things I'm working on, and I probably, it's not even really a done deal yet, but uh, some friends of ours, uh, of mine, want to create a place in downtown Amarillo uh, where we could have uh, some outdoor music and, and name it for AJ and, and, and in his honor and uh, maybe cultivate, help cultivate that some more. And I think it's just a cool thing about Amarillo that, that a lot of people don't even realize. And, and when they say there's nothing to do here, you know, it's just because they're not trying very hard because there's, there's plenty of places to go out and experience uh, some good music, good beer. And I'm not even a huge beer drinker, but I've kind of gotten to drinking some beer in the last few years. Uh, Long Wooden Spoon, my friends over there, uh, They've done a great job, and, and there's a lot of creativity here. So I just uh, even so the big Texan, the big Texan, mate. Yeah, I pass that that billboard every day. It says it's this busty woman with it, and it just makes me want to go immediately, you know, and have a beer at the big Texan. Uh, but yeah, there's just a lot of cool people here, and it's a neat town uh, for people uh, trying to do something creative and different, and new. And and I everybody wants to move to Austin, but you're just one of a million people down there. You 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 can have a come up here and do some amazing things and, and have a lot of fun with it. Uh, so I think, uh, I don't know if that, well, I don't even know what I just endorsed, but I think it's just... Uh, well, busty women. Busty women uh, beer, and beer, you know. Moving here from Austin. Maybe maybe that didn't come out very well, but uh, I think, uh, you know, I just, there's a, there's a, crea a sense of creati creativity here. There's a lot of cool writers, you, among them you. Uh, you know, I've just been amazed. Uh, my eyes have been open the last few years with the creativity we have here. And so I guess that's my endorsement. <laughs> Wes Reeves, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, much obliged. It's been great. Thank you. And that concludes another episode of Hey Amarillo. Thank you again for listening. You can uh, find a new episode of Hey Amarillo every Tuesday. Uh, learn more about us at heyamarillo.com or at heyamarillo on Twitter and Facebook. I'd love to hear from you there. Uh, if you want to write a review on Facebook or iTunes, that's also great. And here's my advice. Do a little bit more walking in Amarillo. Walk around downtown. Listen to the podcast uh, while you're doing it. Dig through some of our old episodes. Support local music. Drink beer at uh, the Golden Light. Go to the Big Texan and Cadillac Ranch. And otherwise, embrace all the businesses and creative people that live here. This is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.